0: This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty.
1: Every day when I walk down, I think my first sensation is the air. You know, I take in these gulps of air into my lungs and it's just like, oh, it's better than coffee. It just rejuvenates you.
0: Oh, John Reynolds. I do envy him. He has lived in California's Yosemite National Park his entire life. Born and raised, he says, his mother worked at the Yosemite Post Office for 43 years. So John grew up in Yosemite Village, and there's an absolutely adorable picture of him on the Sierra News website of John as a toddler, smiling and sitting on the steps of a Yosemite Village building. Well, later, when he grew up, he joined the post office and worked there for 44 years, 10 years as postmaster. And John Reynolds just retired this week. Congratulations to you, John. But John tells us he's not going anywhere. He's going to stay right where he is in Yosemite and continue his morning ritual. In that first steps from his home, he pauses, takes deep breaths, and acknowledges the wonder around him.
1: In that 45 second walk, it just inspires me for the day because I go, man, look where I work. I always turn around and look at Yosemite Falls on my way down because it's Yosemite Falls back to me as I'm walking down to the post office. It almost looks like a painting, you know, you it's hard to articulate, you know, if there's a cascades in between the upper and lower falls. And then as you walk to the base of the lower falls, you really get a sense of how insignificant you are and how amazing mother nature is because of the wind that it creates, the mist. It truly gives a sense of awe. It gives a, and I'm struggling to find the words for it But I don't know how many times I've walked up to the top of falls in my life, but I'm still blown away by it all. The smell of pine is always prevalent. At the height of spring, when the snow is melting, the reverberation of Yosemite Falls makes the doors rattle in our house. And so that makes me smile when I the power and the majesty of everything. Of, of, I don't even have to see it. I can, I, can, I can hear it through the doors. Like, oh my God, the falls must be really moving. The doors are really rattling today. Coming from the west, driving eastward, it's a beautiful canyon drive where the road follows that meanders along the Merced River. And then once you hit the boundary, You start seeing the granite formations that the glaciers have carved out. And then you drive further into the valley after you pass the boundary. And that's when Yosemite Valley really starts to unfold. I notice people that come up to the park. They'll see a spot and it's like they, they don't even know they're driving. They just stop. You can get agitated, but you have to understand what these people are possibly experiencing for the first time is this incredible view that they're just stopped in their tracks. And they're like, oh my God, they got to stop. And they get out, take a picture, even though they're blocking the the road. But I've come to a place where, you know, I I smile at it because I know exactly what they're going through. They're, They're having an experience of seeing Yosemite for the first time in these incredible um, monoliths and the full effect of the enormity of it. I've spent 63 years here in the valley. I can walk out in the valley and you can always see something here that you haven't noticed before. It fills the spirit and I think nature does that. I mean I think it brings inspiration, it brings joy, it brings spirituality. It brings um, hope for the world, I guess.
0: That's John Reynolds. After 44 years working for the post office in Yosemite National Park, he retired in January 2023, giving him more time, he says, to see the things in the park he hadn't noticed before. And, oh, John, your story brings to mind that other John, John Muir, who said, the mountains are calling and I must go. Well, today, we are going to talk about what John had mentioned, about awe, that wondrous, vast feeling that he described, because it turns out awe affects not only our souls, but our brains and our bodies, too. Dacher Keltner is the founding director of the Greater Good Science Center and a professor of psychology at the University of California, Berkeley. He's also host of the Science of Happiness podcast and author of the new book, Awe, the new science of everyday wonder and how it can transform your life. Professor Keltner, welcome to
2: On Point. It's great to be with you, Meghna.
0: I got to know, have you been to Yosemite and experienced what John talked about?
2: Oh, many times. I mean, it's a sacred place, and as uh are many places in the high sierras and many places around the world sources of awe.
0: What's your number one awe inspiring spot? Uh
2: probably it with respect to nature um evolution valley in the high sierras, you know it's it's like yosemite, it's granite and stars and moons and trees. Um but uh one of the things that I learned from studying awe all these years is uh also other people. You know, the moral beauty and kindness and courage of people around me just uh, brings tears to my eyes when I think about students at UC Berkeley overcoming obstacles to get a degree. So uh, there's a lot of awe to experience.
0: So when you, Professor Keltner, are personally having that experience of awe, what yeah. what what does it feel like to you? What's happening in you?
2: Well, you know, what we've learned scientifically is how I feel during awe, much like John Reynolds, has this fascinating brain body profile of I have a sense of being quiet and that I'm small and insignificant and find peace in that I feel I'm aware of kind of big things that I'm part of and then in the body I tear up quite readily and I suspect a lot of our listeners do you know Um, I get the chills uh, I feel sort of a warmth in my chest and those are all sort of mind and body markers of this State that's often so hard to describe with words, but science is making a lot of progress in figuring it out.
0: Right. So, you know, for me, it's the experience of a moment beyond language that I think yeah. I, I encounter, right? Because you just stand there, whether it's nature or, as you said, before someone who's uh, inspiring you, and you just think, I don't have the words. Yeah. There, and I wonder, wh- I mean, wh- why? is that? Because human beings are pretty communicative. We can find a lot of words for
2: different emotions. And by the way, one of the things I noticed when I was writing this book, Awe, is people write about awe all the time, but they're convinced it's hard to describe, and in some ways it is. But I think part of the reason that language fails is so much of language is in service of the here and now and the self and all of our strivings and goals. And awe, by very definition, is is about these vast systems that we could be part of a spiritual system, an ecosystem, a cultural system. And and it's harder to describe those things in words. And, you know, so we struggle to find a word that's, that says or a set of words that, you know, I'm part of this ecosystem in Yosemite or somehow my emotions resemble the the tones and sounds of this symphony. Uh, that's hard to describe with language, but if if you take a little while and find the right phrasing, you can do it.
0: Mm. You know, um, I'm glad you mentioned that it's not just in uh, encounters with with nature that we can experience awe. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk more about the other moments and ways uh, that people sort of touch this sublime um, mm. experience. But but I do have to say that you know, in listening to John talk about Yosemite and and listening to you talk about the Sierras, like. Last summer I was uh, hiking in Glacier National Park to Grinnell Glacier, and there's just a moment where the valley below you opens up and you see this spectacular turquoise water of one of the glacial lakes uh, in the park and the mountains rising up behind. And I was with my family, and we all just—it's what John described. You just stop because all of a sudden you feel like— you're transported beyond something that he, that is normally of the realm of human experience and And to me, that's one of the the indicators of awe. It's just like, oh, this is something beyond what uh the the sort of normal quotidian world of of being alive as a human is.
2: yeah, it is. I mean, you know, in thinking about how do we define this mysterious, yeah. ineffable emotion. I think there are two key elements and, and you nailed it, you know, Magno, which is the first is it's vast, but really more accurately, it's beyond my frame of reference, right? I have a, an understanding of how big things are, how fast they move, et cetera, and awe transcends those characteristics. And it could even be, by the way, small. Mm. Sometimes when people first look into a microscope, they're like, oh my God, my, my saliva has animals in it or whatever it is, you know? So uh, it's beyond... Our frame of reference, and then it's mysterious. There, you know, you just can't make sense of it with your current understanding of the world, and it begs discovery and exploration.
0: Yeah, you know, but the thing about awe, which makes it really distinctly different from feeling inspired or even just. Uh not just happiness but happiness as far as i yeah. understand is you know i'm just like looking at the strict dictionary definition of it and it's you know this sensation of wonder inspired by uh the sacred or sublime but then yeah. also the dictionary definition includes an emotion variously combining dread veneration and sometimes even terror yeah you know like i think the like spiritual writings of awe um, uh, sacred texts often invoke this sort of: "It's so massive, so huge. We are so ignif- insignificant that, in a state of awe, there is uh, you quake as well."
2: Yeah, yeah. You know that is true. Uh, fear is part of most experiences of awe because awe ultimately calls into question our knowledge. It raises questions about the certainty of our understanding. But you know one of the things that's important to remember is that words have histories the etymology of the word awe goes back to the 8th and ninth century old english and norse where it really was a dreadful fearful time and today people uh, feel much less fear in awe and you can really differentiate fear from terror i mean awe from terror quite readily so it's a it's its own positive emotion
0: Mm. well Uh, Dacher Keltner joins us today. He's author of Awe, the new science of everyday wonder and how it can transform your life. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the science part in more detail about what's happening to us when we feel those moments of awe. So stick with us. This is On point. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarti, and today we are talking about experiencing awe in our lives, and what happens in our minds and bodies when we do so. I'm joined by Dacher Keltner. He's a founding director of the Greater Good Science Center at the University of California, Berkeley, and author of Awe, the New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life. And Professor Keltner, I have to say, we got a lot of listeners who shared stories with us about... Uh, moments of awe in their lives. This is Jamie from Saint Paul, Minnesota, and Jamie talked to us about how he's not that big a fan of art, but then he went to Florence, Italy, and saw Michelangelo's sculpture of David in person, and he recalls how he felt before he went to see it this way.
2: Pretty hesitant about, you know, how impactful it would be, given how many photos I had seen and assumed it would just be a similar experience to seeing it in photos but walking into that room where it stands was truly awesome in a way I've never experienced completely breathtaking and striking the scale the detail the history that was wrapped up in the piece totally changed my perspective on looking at at pieces of art in that kind of way
0: that's Jamie from St. Paul, Minnesota. And here's Greg Tachik from Wayne, Nebraska, who left us a Vox Pop message about a time when he toured the nation's largest steel recycler and saw an electric arc furnace.
2: It's this giant bowl that they put almost a load's worth of steel in and then drop this huge electric diode in that's almost the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. And when we are touring it just the amount of power that went through there was almost a burning bush moment for me where you just want to drop to your knees and acknowledge that there's more to this world than you knew there's guys that work at this plant every day and i've talked to them about this and they're like yeah man like it's just a normal tuesday for us um, and so just one of the things that i've taken away from it is being a little bit more akin to the awesomeness that's around us in the world and just trying to really uh, appreciate everything that, that is around us. I got to thank
0: Greg for that story, because, yeah, for some folks, it's a normal Tuesday and for others, it's an awe-inspiring moment. I love that. Now, Professor Keltner, I, you know, I wanted to ask you, actually, you have the Science of Happiness podcast. You've been intensely researching happiness for a long time. What made you curious about expanding that uh, investigation into awe?
2: Yeah, one is just simple scientific curiosity. You know, awe has a long history in our culture. Uh, You know, people have written about it in spiritual experiences and nature experiences, psychedelic experiences today. And, And a lot of great thinkers from Einstein to Descartes to, you know, Rachel Carson really feel that Awe is a defining human emotion. It is one of our most human uh, of tendencies. So I was just interested in scientifically. And I also, you know, Magna got interested in it um, in terms of health and well-being. You know, when you find a little moment of awe, listening to music, getting outdoors, looking at, you know, Greg's arc furnace, whatever it is, (laughs) you know, your immune system looks a little better, your cardiovascular functioning is better, you have a sense of more time. Uh, you feel less stressed in physical pain. So why not think about the deep sources of an emotion that's as good as a, for us as almost any emotion you can pursue.
0: Mm. Do you also have some, you know, like uh, uh, personal connection to this? Oh my God. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, I was raised to study awe scientifically, you know, my dad's a visual artist and love Goya. And so had all these horrifying paintings on our walls and My mom taught romanticism and poetry and Virginia Woolf, lots of awe. You know, I was raised in the late 60s in a wild place, Laurel Canyon. And, you know, just awe was all around me. Uh, And in particular, the humanities version. But I was a skeptical scientist kid. And so I thought, hey, let's, you know, let's study this this emotion that so many people feels hard to capture and see what science can tell us.
0: Mm. I was wondering if you wanted to talk about your brother a little bit.
2: Yeah, you know. I, thank you, Meghna. I, um, you know, we at Berkeley and other places have been studying on learning about where it comes from and how it makes us cooperative. And and like John Reynolds said, it really puts ourself into perspective. We don't feel so overwhelmed by, you know, the ego and feel we're in a good way insignificant in the big scheme of things. So I knew all this science. And then five years ago, my brother, uh, Rolf, um, got colon cancer. It emerged. And four years ago, he left this world. And, you know, Meg does this, you know, he and I had this brotherhood of sharing all kinds of awe from backpacking to trips to dancing, sport, sporting events and the like. And without him, uh, I, I was feeling aweless. And so I went on a journey. And what I write about in this book of like, how can I, like many people in grief and many people suffering? Uh, how can I find awe? You know, where what what can I return to that's familiar that will bring me strength, like the Sierras? What kind of conversation should I have and experiences that are new, like with ministers and in symphonies? Where will I find a moral compass in the awe of moral beauty? So it was a very personal inquiry writing this book. Hmm. I
0: wonder what you had felt that you had lost when you were in that state of awelessness.
2: Yeah. You know, I mean, one of the things that happens when you lose beloved people and they pass is you lose their voice and you lose their mind and you lose their way of seeing the world, right? And when my brother Rolf passed away, I lost our his view of the kindness, the everyday kindness of people, which he had a genius for. And he had this comic absurdity that just brought into perspective the insignificance of things we do. He he himself worked with kids. He was a speech therapist in a very poor county in the foothills of the Sierras in California. There were kids who were constantly overcoming obstacles and in, in, in awe-inspiring ways. And And I lost that. I lost all of his gifts of awe to me. And like a lot of people in grief, you have to reconstruct and reinvent your life. And so mine happened to be, I've lost all the ways in which he he led me to awe.
0: Mm. Well, I am very sorry about your brother's passing, um, Professor Keltner, but I know exactly what you mean. When we lose someone we love... Um, I think you put it so beautifully it's almost we lose the sight that they gave us right yeah. um yeah. uh we lose their way of experiencing um the world, and it's hard to feel like you can never get it back. So we will talk about how to reclaim those gifts uh, a little mm. bit later, but I did promise about talking about regarding the um the science of awe. I mean, first of all, how do you even go about? Measuring it, or or or, or, <laughs> or deciding how you know what the scientific tools you're going to use to measure what seems to be this like, again sublime ephemeral state of being.
2: Yeah, you know, and and we made many humbling mistakes. I remember one of our first studies, we brought this giant you know screen into the lab and we showed these Berkeley engineers fractal videos, and they were like. This is ridiculous, you know? So, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, but we've learned a lot. So, we, you can ask people how, how much awe they feel. You can measure little goosebumps, the chills that run up your back and your head that are a sign of awe. You can measure certain kinds of tears that arise during awe. One of the things that we did that I'm really, uh, that was really profound for me in, in writing this book is to ask people to tell stories of awe, like we're hearing. From Jamie and Greg, like, w- what's the experience like for you? And this was inspired by William James, where he really wanted to understand the mystical experience by gathering stories. And then importantly, you know, Magda, um, we got outside of the lab, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, we studied people at Yosemite. We studied people at dance. We studied people in musical venues, you know, up on with big views, looking overlooking the bay, near big trees. Get people out where they really feel it and then see what unfolds. Yeah.
0: Well, hang on for a second. Different kinds of tears?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it's fascinating. The, You know, there are many different kinds of tears. One has this feeling that arises when you see people join cause or become community, two competing athletes hugging each other, you know, uh, a, a child embracing a veteran dad who runs into the classroom. This sense of, like, communion is registered in a kind of tear produced by what's called the parasympathetic autonomic nervous system which is just a part of your neurophysiology in your body that helps you connect and engage with others and so the tears of awe are really about sensing the creation of community which is really fascinating okay so uh, cuz
0: I was wondering are they chemically different
2: we you know we don't know i suspect they are um they're produced by different branches of the nervous system, so there are probably chemical differences too.
0: But we don't yet know. Okay. Yeah. Um, wow. So then, the, you've also um, researched and written about other measurable effects in the body when we're yeah. experiencing awe. You you had mentioned some of them earlier, but I'd like to go in, yeah. them into more detail. Let's talk about the uh, immune system.
2: Yeah. It can quiet
0: inflammation?
2: Yeah, this one's really important. And, you know, um, the immune system is this complicated network of you know, cells distributed throughout your body that protects the insides of your body from harmful things outside. And one of the systems in the immune system is called the cytokine system and it sends out particular cells that attack pathogens that are harmful to the body. And the effects of the cytokine system are it heats up your body and we call it the inflammation system, right? Heats it up, makes you feel sluggish, kind of depressed. It's what you have when you're having a flu. And and we're learning from a lot of health science that chronically elevated inflammation produced by the cytokine system is really bad for you. It's hard on the heart. It's, It's related to diabetes, autoimmune disease, depression, and the like. And we've done research showing, as have scientists in Japan and South Korea, that feelings of awe cool down the inflammation response. And that is important because it tells us In the many different ways in which we feel awe, it repairs, as Ralph Waldo Emerson said, our bodies. It is, it's like taking a great set of vitamins or better.
0: Amazing. Well, I want to play a quick clip from another listener who shared a a moment of awe. I just love the variety uh, Mm. of experiences that people have brought to us. This is Eric Utter from Seattle, Washington, left us a Vox Pop message about what happened to him in 2017. Now, what happened then? Total solar eclipse in which he viewed with his family in Oregon.
2: Seeing the eclipse in its totality is completely different than seeing it even at 99%. I haven't seen a photograph that can accurately capture the uh, experience. It was it was beautiful to see, but it it felt like it accessed part of our brain that hadn't been accessed in a very long time. That part that uh, experiences something new that doesn't even necessarily make any sense, and uh, that was absolutely a feeling of awe. That's
0: Eric Utter who left us that message from Seattle, Washington. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point. Now, Professor Keltner, I love how Eric put it, like, access to part of our brain. So let's talk about other body systems here. Yeah. We talked about inflammation in the immune system. What about um, cardiac and nervous system?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, Eric's on to something really significant that we're just starting to understand scientifically, which is, you know, studies from Japan and Holland and the United States are finding sources of awe, be it nature, music, or even psychedelics, um, we'll deactivate the default mode network, which neuroscientists believe they're big chunks of your prefrontal cortex in the side of your brain are really where self-related processes are occurring, right? Memory and self-criticism and staying on task. We're overrun by the default mode network in our lives or too much thinking about who we are in ourselves. And awe quiets that default mode network down and opens us up to what Eric talks about, like, wow i'm seeing the world in a much different way it's like part of these holistic systems or things that i can be part of or sort of a sense of community we haven't experienced as eric says that sense of relatedness to things bigger than the self as much as we should Uh, and then down in the uh, below the brain stem we have studies showing that awe activates the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve is this hot area of inquiry Uh, In social science, it's a big bundle of nerves, the largest in the mammalian nervous system that starts in your face and spinal cord, moves through your throat, helps you look at people, vocalize, then nerves drop into your heart and lungs, slows the heart rate, deepens breathing, gets into your digestive organs. And the best statement about the vagus nerve is it enables social engagement and openness. So you put those two findings together and it says, well, these brief experiences of awe make me forget about the self in a liberating moment or two and opens me up to the world, right? Opens me to people and ideas and, and the natural environment around me.
0: How is this different than feeling intense happiness? Because some of the the um, physical and neurological reactions you're talking about sound familiar um, yeah. With uh, or there's overlap with other experiences that we have.
2: Yeah. You know, currently, you know, the field is really, you know, happiness is a broader state of, do I like life? Do I feel good about it? Underneath that, you can differentiate that broad state into probably 10 distinct positive emotions of emotions like amusement and love and desire and compassion and interest, gratitude and awe. Uh, And interestingly... Awe is primarily, it feels good. It feels expansive. It feels agentic and power. It's like I'm doing good for the world. So we can differentiate awe in how we express it in the voice and face, a little bit of neurophysiology from most other positive emotions. It is, you know, Descartes and a lot of great thinkers have felt that this state of awe is this basic state of consciousness or mind or feeling. And I think the the new studies I review in the book tell us they are onto something.
0: And how long do these feelings last?
2: <laughs> and can we make them last forever? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, or can I, you know, yeah, you know, that's one of the mysteries of this field. Um, you know, it's so fascinating, Magna, when people have big experiences of awe. Um, so let's say. You know, they they have an awe experience at a festival in college or a musical event, and I, we study awe and music, or a spiritual experience. They will tell you, I, I still feel it now. It it, I, I, it lasted for a year, long time, and the best we know is they they can last, you know, a week to several months, and and change how we relate to the world.
0: Mm, you know, I'm always looking for the long tail on, <laughs> on experiences that can positively transform us. Um, for me, all it takes. I guess, yeah, it's been less than a year, but speaking of that grinnell Glacier hike, all I have to do is close my eyes, and I'm sensing it all over again. So when we come back, Professor Keltner, we're going to talk more about the everyday wonder part of your research and why and how we can access that more often. So stand by. This is On point. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And as you know, on this show, we talk about some of the challenges facing the country. But we're also always looking for solutions to those challenges because we're trying to shine a light on the way ahead. So we always want to hear from you. What are you witnessing in the city or town where you live? What are the concerns, the ideas, the solutions that family and friends are sharing with you about anything? Tell us your story. Leave us your question or your ideas at 617 353 0683. That's 617 353 0683. You can also share your experience with us on the OnPoint Vox Pop app. And if you don't already have it, just go to wherever you get your apps and look for OnPoint Vox Pop. And through the app, you can send us a really high quality message. There's always social media as well. We're on Facebook at On Point Radio. Today, we are talking about the experience of awe and what is actually happening in our brains and bodies when we feel awe. And we've received a lot of stories uh, from On Point listeners. This is John Raby from Scarborough, Maine, and he recalls the beauty he saw every single day when he used to live in New London, New Hampshire.
1: Every day, I'd look out my back window, and out that back window, there was a view across a lake and a mountain eight miles away. I could see the whole region, and everything spread before me. The woods, the fields, the farms, everything. And immediately around me, there was forest, and there was hiking trails, and on occasion, I would have conversations with the wildlife. In any case, I got to be awestruck every day for nine years.
0: And this is Laura Minor from Bristol, Connecticut. She lived in Nairobi, Kenya for six years when she was growing up. And then, years later, she went back. In 2012, she revisited the area with her family.
2: When we turned a corner and came into full view of Mount Kilimanjaro with no clouds and were able to stay near Mount Kilimanjaro in a campground for a few days, I just kept
4: gasping and... (laughs) seeing the beauty of
2: that mountain and the tininess of humanity against the beauty of nature.
0: Professor Keltner, I'm wondering um we talked about how what's going on in the brain when we're experiencing awe. Then what happens in the immune system uh to the heart, etc. But can these moments of awe then also change our actual behavior?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, that's part of the critical question that we should be, part of the the question we should ask about awe, you know, what does it do for us? And, you know, we have found just remarkable benefits of awe, um, you know, that our storytellers uh, have really pointed to. One is it really makes our sense of self be quiet. Aldous Huxley referred to the self as the nagging, interfering, neurotic voice of the <laughs> ego. And, and we all feel that in our modern lives. And, and awe liberates us from the self. A, a quick view up into some beautiful trees and you don't feel self-focused. William James wrote about the saintly tendencies of mystical awe. And indeed, we find just you know brief experiences of awe in nature or, or looking at art or music make you more cooperative. Um, awe really amplifies our creative tendencies, our capacity for wonder and curiosity. And one of my favorites, Meghna, is, is what it does for a sense of connection. Mm. You know, a lot of uh, people in the West now feel lonely. They don't have as much contact as they want. They don't feel part of a community. We bowl alone in Robert Putnam's phrasing. And, you know, brief experiences of awe, even when you listen to music or you get it out in nature or gardening, um, activate your sense of being connected to a strong community. So that's not a, ba- a bad set of uh, sort of consequences of awe for our modern times to be less self-critical, to be a little bit more cooperative, to be more curious, and then to feel connected just from brief experiences of awe.
0: Mm. You've mentioned this sense of uh, being connected and even becoming yeah. more cooperative multiple times in this conversation. And it makes me wonder if this is why one of, uh, perhaps, the, the central experiences of a profoundly spiritual moment is, is an awe-inspiring one, right? Because, because yeah. a faith, however one practices it, has, you know, since time immemorial, been one of the ways that human beings create community.
2: Yeah, you know, I think the science of awe starts to, to really shed light on certain mysteries. We know if you have a spiritual practice, big sources of data tell us you feel less depressed, you feel more part of a community. And, and, you know, we've been arguing that awe is the part of the magic ingredient there, that you when you practice spirituality and you're with people and you're chanting and praying and looking at the iconography and the like sacred texts, you feel awe. And that brings about these benefits same with music music can be beneficial to us perhaps through awe and then the obvious example getting a lot of attention right now is psychedelics mm-hmm. um, and we have put together a lot of evidence as have others that one of the things these chemical compounds mm-hmm. do is that they make you feel awe and suddenly you feel more generous it lasts for a year or you feel more part of something big um and so Awe helps us understand some of these more complicated phenomena.
0: Yeah. You mentioned Aldous Huxley again, ahead of his time with those doors of perception, right? Um, (laughs) So, so, okay, so there's... There's sort of the big capital A, awe, yeah. right? Yeah. The, the transformative type that we've been talking about. But your book is, talks about the new science of everyday wonder and how it can transform your life. So we'd also heard from a lot of people about their daily experiences that they categorize as awe. So, for example, let's start with uh, Cindy Maher, who called us from Upton, Massachusetts.
4: It was early in the morning. There was some nice fog, uh, so it looked kind of mysterious. And um, uh, there was a lot of color because it was autumn, so there was beautiful color. And it was a little warm out, so it was unusual weather.
0: Now, it was just another routine walk in the woods for Cindy. But that day, she says, a moment of awe found her when she paused to look at what was around her.
4: I was walking across one of the little bridges across the water and I stopped and I paused and and all of a sudden I just, I cried. I started to cry because it was so beautiful and it was so wonderful. And I just felt like the forest was my friend and all of this beauty around me was my friend and it had comforted me through, you know, the pandemic and some tough, tough, times and and it just it just happened
0: so that's cindy from upton massachusetts and here's Lindsay Heard from cannybunk maine and she shared a different kind of awe and it's one she experienced when
3: she became a mother i have two kids and i think a lot of moms would agree that the most awe inspiring day is the day of giving birth and seeing our kids come into the world And it's awe-inspiring because, well, it's a miracle, but it's a moment that makes you want to be better, and it makes you want to leave this world a better place. And when I see my kids every day since giving birth, I think that's a reminder.
0: And Lindsay says that it's in that everyday aspect that she realizes how important it is to experience Awe, finding awe in the small moments
3: of life. Watching a sunrise, watching a sunset, watching a neighbor help an elderly neighbor cross the street, watching someone pay for someone's Dunkin' Donuts in the drive through for no other reason than that they want to be kind. And they might not seem like a lot, but they are nature, human kindness, laughter just make us remember that we're all together in this and that we can be better every single day.
0: Professor Keltner, I really deeply appreciate what, what Lindsay says, but I also have to ask, though, is having small moments of appreciation, is it the same thing? Are we experiencing the same thing as that yeah. capital A awe?
2: Yeah. You know, first of all, what wonderful yeah. stories you've gathered. So thank you, Megna. I mean, they're incredible. And And they really parallel the kinds of stories that my team and I gathered that I write about in this book, Awe, from 26 different countries. And what we found is people feel everyday awe a few times a week, two to three times a week. And they were these little moments of awe of, like, seeing generosity on a train or, you know, a a passing cloud that has these striking forms or little kids dancing together in a, a school dance or, or hearing a wonderful piece of music that takes us back to our teen years and teenage love, just moments of awe. And what we we know is those moments of awe really matter. They bring about these benefits for creativity and less narcissism and, and a sense of less stress. Um, they also benefit the body, but we don't have an answer yet to your question of, of how they fare up in comparison to big awe, right? Mm. You... Uh, are you know you fall to the ground like Jean-Jacques Rousseau did and have this big epiphany about the world and are sobbing and crying? We don't know, and um, and that will be interesting to see. But what we do know is small moments of awe matter profoundly in terms of anxiety, depression, well-being, physical health, and pain. Uh, and I would imagine the big experiences are probably you know just a kind of a mathematical. Uh, compound of those small benefits. Yeah.
0: You know, I would say, just from, again, this is purely my own personal anecdote, that it depends on the form that that small awe, those small daily uh, experiences of awe might take. They can have profound potency. Because, you know, when Lindsay was talking about becoming a mother, I mean, to me, without doubt... The most constant daily source of awe in my life is watching my children grow.
4: Mm,
0: I mean, yeah. it feels like an absolute miracle every day. You know, they come home and they're like almost different people than when they <laughs> went to school that morning, and and I'm 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 blown away by how they uh, change in their in their um, in engagement with the world, or the new ideas, mm-hmm. or questions that they ask, or just the way they respond to something differently than they had responded to before. I mean, it is literally, she said, a miracle. It feels like a miracle watching this human being grow and develop. Now, that's something I see every day. And it, you know, it can be small, but there's something about that particular type of awe for me in my life that is unmatched. And so, you know, it's probably different things for different people, But it also makes me wonder, we have to allow ourselves to feel it, right? Because I think there are probably other sources of of awe in my life that I'm just not being
2: open to. Well, you know, what a terrific example. You know, we do know a little bit that awe is fundamental to a child's development. It helps them learn about the physical world and the social world and music and art and, you know, the imagination. And I profile an essay by Rachel Carson, the great environmentalist, in the book about how to teach your child to wonder. But, you know, Magna, you've raised this other thing that scientists haven't gotten to yet, which is how important awe is to being somebody who raises children. And it is awe-inspiring to hear the emergence of language and their first smile. We cry and weep and laughter and play and we watch their friendships. But I think the lesson there is exactly what you suggest, which is imagine if we just directed the powers of attention that we direct to our children just a little bit of it to other parts of the world, Mm. right? Suddenly it it unfolds in its richness. And that's what the studies suggest, which is, you know, we did a study of an awe walk. You turn a regular walk that everybody does these days and you just observe a little more and pause a little and imagine and ask yourself questions. Suddenly it becomes a source of awe and it brings about a lot of benefits. So I love your example because it tells us, Learn, look to the world as, as you would your children and see what you discover.
0: Well, also then look upon the world as a child does, right? Yeah. Because that the idea of this all walk, I think kids just do that every day, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> They'll just stop
0: in their tracks and be like, wow, look at that. I've never <laughs> noticed that. I mean, that it sounds very familiar to me.
2: Yeah, and you're like, get across the street now, you know. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> Were you with and, you me know, this lot... morning when I took my kids to school? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, a lot of philosophical traditions, most notably Zen Buddhism, are like, Get back to child's mind, beginner's mind. Get out that nagging, neurotic, interfering voice of the ego and your adult, you know, strivings. Just approach the world freshly. I agree. I think that we need it.
0: So what are the other ways in which you've discovered that we can practice everyday awe? I mean, looking at uh, zooming, so focus on something and then zooming out. But you also yeah. have this whole different um, uh, aspect of finding awe um, through thinking about specific people.
2: Yeah. You know, I, it's interesting because there are all these misconceptions of awe, like it's, it's rare. No, it's not. It's pretty common. You just have, It's only nature. Actually, it's about all kinds of things. And, and also you can cultivate it pretty easily. So when, you know, we uh, teach the cultivation of awe, it's, you know, zoom out, uh, reflect on a mentor who has given you courage or kindness that stays with you to this day. Go out and do an awe walk. Look at a cloud. Look at the sky. One of my favorites is to tell awe stories, right? If you're mm-hmm. part of an organization, reflect for a moment and talk about a moment of awe at your work. And suddenly these, you know, incredible stories will emerge. So there are a lot of ways. Listen to music very intentionally. Um, you know, look at a video that has incredible uh, design in it. We showed a lot of videos of the slow motion guys who film stuff in extreme slow motion. Yeah. And it's mind blowing. So we have a lot of awe around us that is ready to access.
0: Do we actually have to be experiencing something new though? Because I think you've written that like we can generate this feeling in our own minds without external stimulus.
2: We can, you know, and memories are powerful sources of awe, recalling passages, uh, it, the the imagination, you know, we there's a a practice you can do, reimagine a place of nature that feels safe and sacred to you, powerful source of awe. So you, you don't even have to get out of your living room to find awe.
0: <laughs> uh, and it, it has the same, it has the same biological effect in the body.
2: We don't know that yet, but but it does have many benefits that says it it probably will be more muted shifts in our neurophysiology compared to bungee jumping off. El Capitan, whatever in Yosemite Valley, but it does bring benefits. Well, the bungee jumping cart
0: part would just inspire terror <laughs> I <mean. laughs> but I guess that's part of awe too. Well, Professor Dr. Keltner, founding director of the Greater Good Science Center and a professor of psychology at the University of California, Berkeley, the new book is "Awe: The New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life." Professor Keltner, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: It's been wonderful, Magna. Thank you. And thank you for all the stories. It's so wonderful.
0: in, In fact, I will thank our listeners because their stories of awe definitely moved me today. So thank you, On Point listeners. I'm Magna Chakrabarty. This is On Point.